If you're like me, you grew up being taught about something called the age of accountability. This teaching says that you are innocent um, as a child, but at some point you reach an age, usually around 12 or 13, where now you are not guaranteed to go to heaven when you die. Now you are supposedly uh, no longer innocent. You are aware of your sin, your need for a Savior, and you are capable of making a decision as to whether or not you want to follow Christ. I would like to look into that today to see, is that a biblical teaching? Where does it come from? And of course, what does the Bible say about it? And how can we honor the teachings of Scripture? Let me first start by saying that this concept of an age of accountability, it's not a silly or a dumb concept. It's not completely out of left field. It's not something that we were taught that is just made up or completely in error, more like it's an incomplete or not fully biblical view. The first scripture passage that I'm going to be looking at is from 1 Corinthians 15. Um, this is where Paul is talking about resurrection, um, how essential that is to the gospel, physical life, spiritual life. And I'm going to start in verse 20 of chapter 15. Again, this is 1 Corinthians. Paul is going to be discussing um, right here specifically kind of the relationship we have with death, both spiritual and physical, both through Adam and through Christ. So let's read verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is, people that have passed away. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power. I'm going to skip just a little bit here to, um, let's go to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust, like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what I'm seeing in this passage is, it's a very rich, good passage talking about this new body we'll receive at the resurrection. But what I'm seeing here, uh, and I'm going to focus on specifically, is this idea that in Adam is this representative of mankind. In Adam, all die. 
What does that mean? Well, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they brought death into the world. Because if you'll remember, uh, I referenced in an earlier podcast that um, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree, you shall surely die. Sorry, that's hard to say. Shall, sur- surely, <laughs> you shall surely die. Um, you know, before that, there was no sin and death, but with sin came death into the world, both physical and spiritual death. We experience both. Um, and so everyone that is now a descendant of Adam and Eve, which, you know, spoiler alert, is all of us, including me and you, we continue to follow in their footsteps. They are kind of our federal head, our representative. For example, I used to think that everyone was born completely neutral, that we could choose good or bad. But the Bible teaches, not just in this passage, but there is a ton of others, like a ton, that says we are born with, uh, with a, not just a tendency to sin, but we are born in sin. We are born with a heart bent toward sin. We are born corrupt. That doesn't mean we are born just as bad as we could possibly be, not worth anything. Of course, we are still image bearers of God. We still have value. God loves us. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. But we are not born innocent. We are born in Adam. If we were born innocent, why does everyone sin? Why has there only been one person, aka Jesus, who has ever been righteous? You know, if you think about it, surely out of the billions and billions and billions, maybe trillions of people that have walked the earth, why has everyone chosen to sin? If you're a parent like me, you see in your children, by the time they are just walking, they are already sinning. Now, that's not to say that they are, uh, you know, just, like I said, as bad as they could be. But why don't we have to teach our children to lie? Why don't we have to teach them to be selfish? They already know these things. They already don't want to share. They'll lie. They'll be selfish. They'll hit, you know, when they don't get their way, they'll throw a tantrum. It's that sin nature, that Adam nature coming out, okay? So, again, I believe firmly, based on not just the scripture, but other scriptures, that we all are born in sin. Um, There is a psalm that David wrote I am forgetting the reference, of course, now that I'm being put on the spot, but where it says, in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, You know, there's other Bible verses that said, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is in Ephesians 2. We're dead. We're slaves to sin, actually it says. We are not slaves to righteousness. We are not neutral. We have a free will, but we do not have a good will. Okay, so just think about that. We have a free will. We are free to choose but we will always choose poorly unless the Holy Spirit comes upon us and awakens us to newness of life and changes that sin nature, that Adam nature, to a Christ-like nature where we are now able to choose good and holy things. Another Bible passage that addresses this is Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. So again, sin and death go together. We all sin. We all die. Um, Yeah, babies are born in sin, born with that sin nature, and they grow up to be toddlers and then kids and teenagers and adults that sin. And so God must be the one who imparts the spiritual wisdom 
to us because in some ways my six-year-old can understand the gospel better than an adult. But I would say an adult is infinitely more intellectually capable of understanding the gospel than her. Yet the Bible also says that the gospel is spiritually discerned and that the Lord must reveal the truth of it to us. Can't tell you how many people that I know grew up in church, were in church every Sunday, and now they're adults. They would say they're not Christians. But when I ask them, well, can you explain the gospel? How does somebody get to heaven? What did Jesus do? They literally cannot do it. Uh, they'll either tell me that they're not entirely sure, or they'll say confidently, oh, this is how they, that Christians get into heaven. They try to be a good person. Or they think that if they you know, do enough uh, good things that the Bible says, that they'll earn God's favor. Like It is just so rare for me to find somebody who can clearly articulate the gospel, that we are dead in our sin. Jesus was the perfect uh, sacrifice. He was human and God. God in the flesh, he died on our behalf, gave us his righteousness, this alien righteousness that could only be accomplished by God himself, gave it to us. It is now ours forever, and we enter heaven because we are blameless and perfect, made that way by the blood of Christ. So all that to say, yes, there has to be an intellectual ability to understand the gospel, but also know it's not just intellectually discerned. It is spiritually discerned as well. And the Holy Spirit is the one that opens the eyes of the blind. In fact, the Bible says that the eyes of non-believers, um, that Satan has blinded the eyes of non-believers so they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Another Bible verse says, um, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, leaving my mind right now which one it is, but it says the gospel is veiled and uh, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So again, intellectual knowledge can only get us so far. Also, I'm going to be looking at Romans 1. Romans 1 is a very deeply theological passage, even though it's just the very beginning of the book, because it sets a precedent and a foundation for uh, Paul's thesis, basically, is what I call it. Um, his thesis is all men are uh, lost, all men are bad. We need a savior. We can't do it. We stink. <laughs> um, if you look, starting in verse 16 of chapter 1, it starts talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel to save us. And then it goes into, well, you know, we need to be saved from God's wrath. God is wrathful with the world. We have sinned. And it talks about how we have done this exchange. There's the exchanging of the truth about God for a lie. It even says that in chat, uh, excuse me, verse 20, that we are without excuse, that God is clearly perceived in creation, that he has made himself known and evident to all of us, that all people are without excuse. No one can say, well, I didn't know that there was a God, or I didn't know, you know, um, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be a horrible person. I thought it was totally fine to be a horrible person. You know, we all have this sense of who our creator is. And it says that our sin, our lying, cheating, stealing, sexual sin, disobedience to parents, all kinds of sin, Paul lists here, 
Those are symptoms of the greatest problem, which is this exchange of the truth about God for a lie. We have looked at creation, realized there's a God, and chosen not to pursue Him. We have chosen to exchange His glory for the glory of other things. Those can literally be actual physical idols and statues, or those can be idols in our heart. It can be ourselves or our success, our money, however you want to look at it. Idols sometimes are not always made from wood and stone. And so here's what we've concluded so far from these Bible verses. Everybody that is born a descendant, uh, excuse me, a descendant of Adam is dead in their sin without excuse and is sinful and will always choose to sin and is not innocent. No one is neutral. No one, no one gets out of this and no one gets out of it alive, uh, physically speaking. We all are subject to death as well. Well, okay, what does that have to do, you know, what do we do with these passages when it comes to children or even, um, we could even say like the mentally disabled, people who just aren't able to understand the gospel, like it doesn't really, you know, sit well with us that that someone would not go to heaven, you know, like a five-month-old wouldn't go to heaven because they're born in sin. That just doesn't make sense. Well, thankfully, we have other Bible passages. In fact, in three of the four Gospels, all of the Gospels but John, this next little interaction between Jesus and children is recorded. I'm just going to choose to read from the Matthew version. This is Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. Then children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. And again, this interaction is recorded um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The only one that doesn't include it is John. And so obviously this is pretty important. Um, I can say that the authors chose to put that in there. And it clearly seems like Jesus says that children go to heaven. I mean, at least in the way that I understand language and communication, seems pretty straightforward. I don't think there's some cryptic message that, oh, they really go to hell because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You know, um, we have to just take all these passages together and do our very best effort to form a theological truth. The truth is not everything is cut and dry. There is not a mention of an age of accountability. There is not a mention of, you know, some magic number or how mentally handicapped does someone have to be in order for them, you know, to to go to heaven um, kind of automatically. So I would say here's what we can conclude and here's what I believe that the Bible teaches. I believe that even though all of us are born into sin, all of us will sin, even mentally handicapped people sin. My husband used to work with children with special needs. He will tell you they are sinners. <laughs> we are all sinners. We have that Adam nature. We have all physically, well, we all physically will die because of Adam and we all spiritually have died because of Adam and Eve and their choice in the garden. And we have just followed their footsteps. Uh, we have continued in that path. And so I believe that that is a truth that is, you know, undeniable. I also believe that most people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they do these sins as a result of it, the lying, stealing, and things like that. But I think that we can say a person with excuse 
What about a person who has excuse? Because it says in Romans 1 that we are without excuse. Well, who is somebody that is with excuse? I think that children and specifically babies, toddlers, and those of special needs mentally, I think they are with excuse. But I think it depends on each person. I think it's a case-by-case basis. The only God can truly know. I mean, there's no way we can know for sure. But I think it's a case-by-case basis where God in His divine sovereignty and mercy has allowed for them to pass away as a child or as a, as a person with a mental uh, or intellectual disability. And part of His kindness and love is He has uh, placed them as part of the elect that Jesus did die for them. He did absorb the wrath of God over their sin because they still are sinners and separated from God and need His grace. But they cannot adequately respond to the gospel. They they are with excuse because they have not exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They're just acting in their sin nature, in their Adam nature, but they haven't clearly perceived the world and decided, you know what, there's a God, but I'm not going to worship Him. I don't think a newborn baby is capable of doing that. I don't think that many people, children, you know, adults with intellectual disabilities are capable of exchanging the truth for a lie. That is a very conscious decision, at least what I see in Scripture. That's just a very uh, insidious thing that we all do, but only those, it looks like, that are uh, of certain age or of certain mental capacities. Again, I do not think there's a magic age. In fact, I remember sometimes when I was like 10 or 11, I would do something bad and be like, it's okay because, you know, I'm not at the age of accountability yet. It's probably like 12 or 13. So if I do something bad, I'm okay. I'm still going to heaven. No, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Oh my goodness. That wasn't just me acting out of my sin-like nature, me being like a toddler, throwing a tantrum because I don't have a godly nature. That was me actually choosing consciously to sin. Uh, knowing that it was wrong, knowing it was offensive to God and saying, "Mm, it's okay because, you know, I'm not 12 yet. So in conclusion, uh, I think we can just say that children and those with intellectual disabilities, uh, that God loves them enough to have compassion and mercy and uh, that they do go to heaven, not because they're innocent, but because they are part of the bride of Christ. They are part of the elect. God has elected them. He has died for them. He has bore their sin on the cross, endured Uh, God's wrath over their sin. Their sin is paid for. They are justified. They are not innocent. They are guilty, but they have been declared righteous because God is good and he is just and he is merciful. He's loving and gracious. And so I think we just have to be careful to teach that, yeah, absolutely, there's an age of accountability. I don't see that. I just see kind of, you know, some certain parameters that the Bible gives us about what it is that condemns us and sends us to hell. And so um, I just don't believe that the Bible teaches that babies, young children, and those with intellectual um, disabilities are able to actively reject the gospel. As always, thanks for listening. Feel free to send me a Facebook message with your feedback or questions, or you can email me at blamibo.go at hushmail.com. That's B-L-A-M-I-B-O dot G-O at hushmail.com. Thank you and God bless.